Hello, everyone. My name is Martin Foster, and you're listening to the inaugural episode of the 690 Second Podcast. Now, if you're wondering what the 690 Second Podcast is about, it's simple. It's about the subject of leadership, hearing from our own 690 Second Airmen, their ideas, and learning the stories of people doing our missions. Team 692, this is how we can connect. Let's talk. My guests on this first ever episode are the 692nd Leadership Team, the dynamic duo of the Group Superintendent, Chief Master Sergeant Warren Trish, and Fist Pump, Fist Pump and the Group Commander, Eric Mack. Corn Mack, how's it going, sir? It's going great. Great morning. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, of course. Chief, how's it going? It's going amazing. Aloha to all my people out there. Corner Mack, before we dive into questions, I'm going to ask you a question about Chief Trish. He's told me no on this before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What if Chief Trish started his own podcast? It was about gossip, and we just called it Trish the Dish. Trish's Dish. Yeah. 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 And to it. Or we could start a trash talking podcast with you, sir. We can call it Talking Smack with Mac. That's just uh, <laughs> I think I got my post-Air Force career. For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. I just want to start off with you. What's on your mind? Anything specific? And if not, I have questions. Yeah. No, I think really what's on my mind, a few things. There's always a lot running through a commander's mind. You know, this time of year, we're heading into the holidays. So foremost on my mind is thankfulness and kicking off those events for the units and making sure our, our airmen know just how much we appreciate everything that they provide and their families sacrifice. So that's foremost as we head into next week. Really for the group, I think we're working really hard on the DCGS 2.0 transformation. So I think that's, you know, as far as hours of the day and the night, I think that's what's really taken up, I think, most of the leadership's time right now. Yeah. Just trying to figure that out and come to the right answer and set up the airman for success for the next generation of DCGS airmen. That's great input. And actually, you mentioned something to kind of, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. And Chief, I'm going to ask you, actually, both of you something, but Chief, we'll start with you. You know, the commander talked about, you know, the holidays and everything and just an airman. The 692nd is so diverse and we were literally spread out all over the island. Just as group leadership, what are some of the challenges both of you face with all the GSUs and working in a joint environment? So I'd say first and foremost is when it comes to being geographically separated, I think, you know, have a group as large as we are, you know, we have over 1100 billets and we're just at about a thousand people filling those billets that, you know, we would love to be able to get out and see people in their spaces doing the mission. You know, I think that's the best way to connect with our airmen that are doing some pretty amazing things. So the challenge therein lies is, you know, feeling like you're giving the right amount of balance to all of the squadrons that we have within the group. And sometimes, you know, there's any one thing that when I go to sleep at night and I may feel bad about is, you know, am I spending enough time with, you know, airmen that maybe are up island or, you know, even sometimes right across the street, you know, I think that that is definitely a leadership challenge. Anytime I've been in a leadership position, when you look at DOCs or climate surveys, you know, the people always 100% of the time will have a comment about visibility with leadership, right? You know, seeing them, you know, because I think at the end of the day, the people that are actually out there hacking the mish, so to speak, they want to feel appreciated. You know, they want to know that they have purpose. And I think that even if we didn't come into a workspace and say anything just for them to see us there, I think is a powerful message that we're sending or communicating non-verbally. So, yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of times, you know, we're sitting in meetings and most of my days it's held up in meetings and quite frequently I'm thinking I'd rather be on the ops floor talking with some airmen and get my, get my hands dirty a little bit with, with them and one, learning more about what they're doing and what's important to them because especially as we move to the transformation, a lot of those good ideas come from the ground up. I've been working with Chief Trish now for going on six months and he doesn't really have any good ideas. So <laughs> Agreed. We got to talk Agreed. to him. Yeah. 
Yeah, we, we need to do something about that. Colonel Mack, as you've been in command for, I guess, roughly six months now, as we close 2019, what do you reflect on? And then what are you looking forward to in 2020? Time flies. That's what really what I reflect on. As I look back, it's just like, you know, almost a quarter of my command is already coming to a close, you know, at the start of the new year. So looking back really at, you, know, you take over your predecessor's priorities and the group was on such a sure footing underneath Colonel Dangler and the priorities that everybody's been working. So we're working, I think, hard at the squadron commanders, the squadron leadership on kind of making our assessments as we close out this year of the progress that we've made on the priorities over the last year. And then looking forward to doing some strategic offsites, probably think towards the end of January and beginning of February on kind of setting those priorities going forward for next year. Okay. You know, a lot of those justifiably revolve around the transformation. A lot of that is really at the unit level where most of that work will happen. So it's more kind of identifying what, you know, what are the tasks for the group staff to help facilitate that lower level transformation? That's great stuff. One question I did want to ask is, and this question is for both of you gentlemen, when you think of a movie image that depicts leadership, who or what comes to mind? Chief, we'll start with you. Well, you know, I'm a kind of an old school uh, guy. So, you know, first thing that comes to mind is Coach Carter. I, I, I think that, I believe that's Samuel L. Jackson was a yeah. basketball coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been accused of looking like Sam Jackson on occasion when drinks are flowing, but that's another story, another podcast. So, you know, I, I gravitate towards movies like that or stories like that to where you can use sports analogies and they're easily applied to, you know, almost any situation when you think about it, especially in our line of work where we rely on teams. I think that when I think about leadership and the impact a coach obviously has on their team, their team's ability to perform at the next level or a higher level of competition, that, you know, there are always great lessons to be learned because oftentimes what happens in a lot of these movies, not just Coach Carter, is that there's learning occurring between not just, you know, the coach and the players, but then oftentimes, you know, the coach is then learning from the players, you know. And so when I think about a lot of the, you know, similar scripts that are written, you know, in these movies, what tends to happen is as a coach is trying to motivate his team to be better through that process, he's begins to learn more about his players, right? And the challenges they have to even get onto the field, you know, their field of play to then be engaged when he's trying to coach them. And so usually turns out coaches now doing more on the personal side, you know, whether it's making house calls, talking to the parents, maybe student X has a bad situation going on and he's just, he or she is a star player. And so coach is trying to not just coach them on the field, but then they're trying to coach them in life, you know, doing the life coaching and also the sports coaching. So I think that movies like that you know, are great lessons for a lot of us. And it's the first one that comes to mind. And I would give you an example of why they say, I remind them of Samuel Jackson, but it, that would be inappropriate. A couple of swear words and all that. You know. Sam Jackson never comes. We don't need no snakes on a plane. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. Spicy. For everyone listening, Spicy. if you feel like Chief Trish's Sam Jackson impression, please like and share the Facebook post. <laughs> you said the wolf. <laughs> I don't know if Colonel Mack can do any Sam Jackson impressions, but sir, like if there's a movie image that comes to mind, who or what is that image? I don't know if I can, I, I can match the coach reference, but I guess two military movies that, and leadership movies that I guess I remember one is Patton. Like Patton just comes to mind. I think anytime I think kind of leadership of kind of biography type of a movie. And then the other one that's more personal is I, I think I watched Heartbreak Ridge maybe 30 to 50 times when I was in junior high and high school when that first came out. And, you know, that's a story of, you know, the crusty gunnery sergeant 
you know, taking a band of, of misfits, but really instilling pride and instilling readiness at the end of the day that saved their lives, right? And, and made them an effective unit. But yeah, it's Clint Eastwood, you know, yeah. and his low, low drawl. So uh, it's the peak of his powers, uh, I think, as a thespian. He beat up the big Swede in that movie. That's what big I remember. Swede, <laughs> that yeah. was the big thing in that movie. Chief Trish, earlier you talked about, you know, just when you referenced Coach Carter, you talked about just, you know, engaging with people and just learning about the people, you know, make, like in the movie, you reference, you know, Sam Jackson or Coach Carter making house calls. But how are the Airmen in the 692nd, how are they actually influencing and inspiring you? So that's a great question. And, you know, I think when I first arrived here, I, I was just talking about this the other day. I'm not going to lie. I was overwhelmed by the amount of mission that occurs in the group. You know, depending on what squadron you're in, I mean, there is no shortage of mission and dynamic mission sets at that, that, you know, are having a great impact in this theater. Now, oftentimes what, you know, leadership we often talk about is when we have the privilege of going and receiving, you know, a mission brief or, you know, if there is something worth highlighting to leadership, oftentimes it's going to be an airman that is presenting, you know, the information to us and, you know, very quickly, my mind goes back to when I was sitting in that airman's shoes as to what I was doing, because I definitely wasn't being propped up in front of any leadership. I was probably being asked to stay home that day <laughs> instead of actually being in the room. But, you know, all jokes aside, I think that there is a stark difference in comparison, just in my mind, you know, that the airmen, the caliber of airmen that we have in our ranks today is absolutely outstanding. And, you know, it speaks to the complexity of the environment that they're engaged in and their ability to quickly adapt and really add value in a way that I think that has proven, you know, the worth or a lot of, not even the worth, but when, you know, when we hear things like we as in the Air Force, we hear things from our partner nations about how they are envious of our enlisted force and the responsibility that we give them. Our airmen in the 692nd ISR group are perfect examples of that. You know, all you have to do is just go up to NSA Hawaii and, you know, sit down and chat with any of those airmen for five minutes. And if you learn what they've done or what they're working on, I mean, a lot of that stuff is literally for me, eye-watering. I'm like, you know, I was only barely able to keep up with you for two minutes of what you just said. But when you got to the end, that is absolutely, oftentimes, not even believable. I was like, you know, if you weren't telling me you just did that, it would be hard for me to believe if I read it on a piece of paper that you, as let's say, hypothetically, an A1C, were doing what you just told me. You know, I wouldn't believe it unless, you know, you'd have to show me. So oftentimes... I think uh, there is no shortage of those examples. And, you know, it's just a testament to how far we've come as a military service and our ability as an Air Force to adapt and just do what we can with the resources that we have. Because, you know, the ideal situation, is, especially in our group, would be to have more seasoned NCOs, you know, in mass. And that's not what we get. You know, oftentimes it's very junior airmen that are coming from the training environment and we ask them to do way more than I know I was asked to do when I was at their rank. And not only do they step up, they freaking knock it out of the ballpark, day in, day out, you know, without question. And so I think that that is humbling for me and that motivates me. And that definitely inspires me to be better for them, right? And to try to do what I can to add value to them because those are the, the ones that are actually doing the hard work. I mean, I'm sipping out of my little coffee cups. If you come up to the group staff, you know, that. Yes, it's not a whole lot of <laughs> mission happening, at least in my office, right? You know, I'm trying to get after and taking care of those airmen that are actually doing the, the hard work. So, Colonel Mac, Chief, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, 
just to piggyback on what Chief was saying, it's it really is eye watering. You know, when when you first come into the command and you know you got this A one C and they're like, well, yeah, you know, this project I worked on X Y and Z, and then you know, I guess I guess the report went up and you know it was briefed to the president, you know, and then it's like, excuse me, like people just don't understand like how cool that is and how rare that is. Like that's just again twenty. 24 years in the Air Force, I don't think anything I've ever done, anything I've ever touched was reported to the president. And that's almost like every other week, it's something like, oh, yeah, this thing of, you know, such significant value or, you know, yeah, this airman was brief in General Brown. You know, those are huge opportunities that are just so rare out there. And again, it's just awesome that our airmen are just like, that's kind of like in stride every day. It's like, oh, yeah, I was, you know, brief to the PACAF commander. Oh, uh, all right. NBD, no big deal. Yeah, no big big deal. deal. Yeah, that that's for sure. And I, I think the other thing that really impresses me is just how many folks are are stepping out of their whether it's their comfort zone or you know people just aren't kind of walking around with blinders on and saying this is my job or that's not my job. I think that's what really impresses me is you know just people you know seeing a problem and coming up with a creative solution using and I think that's a testimony to some of our supervisors and and you know that flight leadership to just allow people to try to problem solve and give them the freedom to just say, yeah, we got to figure this out, which again, I think we expect more and more of that are of our airmen. And it's just cool to talk. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about walking around. It's not just, yeah, people are doing their jobs and doing intelligence work, but it's like, ah, there's this problem and, you know, it doesn't have to be a, this huge innovative solution, but it's like, this is how I, somebody just kind of picked up the flag and ran with it. And for the betterment of all their airmen, not just for themselves. Colonel Mack, uh, Chief talked about just a different caliber of airmen today versus like, I guess, when he was an airman 24 years ago, right? Slow your roll. <laughs> Slow your roll. It wasn't that long yeah, ago. Yeah. <laughs> it made me really show you my Sam Jackson impression. <laughs> he he stayed an airman for a long time. For a long time. He was, he was, yeah, he was a late bloomer. Yeah, you know, three years maybe. You know, I was, I was, I was special. I was special. But uh, Colonel Mack, like we're seeing a different caliber type of airman today. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, you know, ever increasing the technological requirements for the military, you know, are, are increasing at a huge pace. And I think you can throw in, you know, probably patriotism after the 9-11 and, you know, also at that time, the economic downturn. So we got a lot of kind of coincidences came at the same time that all of a sudden we got a huge influx, I think, of just hugely talented airmen coming in to contribute. And I think that kind of continues today that the Air Force is, you know, really on the cutting edge. And when it comes to intelligence and what we're doing, I think that attracts really smart, really talented folks to come in to work these problems and serve really the nation. People join for a myriad of of reasons, that's for sure. But I think at the root of all those, you know, especially the longer you stay in, the service becomes more and more important to you. And I think that's really the key. Chief, you've been in for an undetermined amount of time. I, I like the way you put that. I do. You know, just from your opinion, your perspective, do you feel like airmen are more confident briefing 06s today than maybe when you were an airman? Oh, absolutely. You know, to put it in perspective, if I think hard enough about the times that I had the opportunity to speak to somebody that was an 06, let me think never, not until I was senior master sergeant, probably. And so, you know, that's telling because it's not a common occurrence when you look across the spectrum of the many different jobs that our enlisted men and women do on a day in and day out basis. And so 
you know, that's one of the things I try to bring forward when I'm talking to, you know, our younger airmen that are coming in so they don't get jaded, right? I think that's important when in an environment like this, where it'd be easy to kind of forget the impact that you're having, even at your stage of growth in the military, that, you know, to be reminded of how irregular that is, I think is important because I'll see it. Oftentimes, you know, I try to stay engaged on the other side of the base. If I go over to the professional development center, talk to airmen at the, that are in FTAC or something like that, you'll see a difference. You'll notice a caliber of our airmen versus their airmen. Not to say other airmen doing other jobs aren't as equipped, but I think a good example of that is how well we do in the professional military environment, right? Yeah. When we're talking PME, ALS, and NCOA, and even senior NCOA. I don't think it's a trade secret that when our airmen go to these courses that they tend to do very well, right? And I think it's a part of their upbringing in the military, the jobs that we ask them to do. You know, as an A1C, if you're comfortable talking in front of an 06, I find it hard to believe that you wouldn't be comfortable talking to a room of your peers. Not only are you talking to a room full of your peers, but you're able to think a little bit strategically. You know, you're possibly even able to connect some dots when it comes to the lessons or the things that may be discussed in those rooms. And the perspective that you're going to bring is going to be one of a potentially even an NTO or an officer, because that's the environment that you're working in, right? You're, you know, we ask our Intel Airmen to collaborate with the whole host and of different type of personalities and professionals, not just people wearing a uniform, but also our civilian partners that are out there, you know, bringing wealth of experience and then pouring that into our Airmen, right? And so I think that those examples just really hit home uh, the impact of when I say the caliber of our airmen and, w- and what they're bringing, that just proves the point. So, yeah, when you get into some of those environments too, it's like, you know, not everybody in the military kind of lives, and I would say we live the, the NDS, right? The National Defense Strategy. And, and you see it on a daily basis and you put it to work and understand it and internalize it a little bit more than. Than you might in, in other shops out there. So I think, yeah, Chief hit it on the, the nail on the head on probably halfway. So. <laughs> I get it halfway in. Got that nail halfway into the wood. <laughs> Just a testament to the airman briefing uh, the other day. I'm very fortunate to be part of a team where a senior airman briefed Colonel Matt kind of impromptu. I think on it was on Monday or Tuesday. And earlier that day, he also briefed the Navy or maybe the day before he briefed the Navy 06. And he was, you know, just, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm briefing the group commander. No big deal. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and, and he provided a, a you know twenty minute brief and answered questions and very calm and confident. But I'll even go as far as to say, you know, so for our three Delta, you know, airmen that are in our group, that they've adopted and, and assimilated kind of that cultural mindset too. So you know, as we bring leadership through the building and you know the demands that we place on the airmen and the intel side of you know that building where those folks work, that uh, they're stepping up to the plate as well and are extremely knowledgeable on how their mission set impacts the Intel mission that is happening that, you know, without their support, there's no way we would be able to do anything that we do, you know, without them in the building. So, and they step up, they tell our stories, they tell it professionally, they tell it intelligently. And, you know, again, you know, I think it's just the environment that we've uh, cultivated. It's good. And I, I think that's infectious too. So I think they're also doing a great job of, you know, bringing in folks from outside organizations. So just the network amongst the communicators to, you know, bring folks in to get training, get exposed to the weapon system and vice versa that our folks, you know, get training out in some of the other squadrons and bring that back in 
you know, just strengthens the team, you know, across the board. One question I'm going to go back and ask you, Colonel Mack, I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer, but how the airmen like truly like inspiring you and influencing you, someone who's been in for uh, 20 plus years? Man, like I said earlier, the folks stepping up, taking charge and problem solving when it's not necessarily right in their wheelhouse, right? Where they're, they're reaching out. And then, you know, just this morning we were doing an act after action review after Tech Sergeant Khan's uh, passing. And, you know, I would say I, borderline emotional, but it's inspiring just to see the leadership that occurred during that time. And, you know, that's a crisis event, but I kind of see that all that, you know, you see that time and time again of, you know, just people looking out for their fellow airmen and kind of leading through those kind of challenges and, and making sure that the people to the left, to the right, people they're charged with supervising, just taking care of them, right? That inspires me just to see that. And, and again, as leadership, of the group, we I think we see that everywhere we turn, and so that that's really what what fuels me is I just get inspired by those two things. Just how hard people are working, you know. When you talk about transformation, and the, that's a scary topic, right? And that kind of foundational change, and and uh, what does that mean? You know, what what are we going to look like next year? And you know, I'm used to doing. You know, individual might be used to doing their job, and then we're going to you know, for years. And now we're going to say, we're going to ask them to do something completely different. And just how willing people are to put their shoulders into that and figure that out and make that look right. That's just awesome. Sir, you mentioned about Sergeant Khan. I just want to give a shout out to Lieutenant Colonel No and his team and also the 692nd Art just for all the actions they did for follow-up um, on that whole situation. Colonel Mack, you talked about as we approach 2020, we have transformational change, foundational change. So what do you anticipate being like your toughest leadership decision moving forward? The decision's been made. So that's, that's the easy part, right? I think that's once you, you kind of make that decision, you jump off the cliff, you know, the, the, falling's the, the falling's the easy part. It's once you hit the water and you start to swim. So I think the biggest challenge is going to be, you know, when we kind of flip that switch beginning of the year and kind of reorganize really the, the 8th IS is bearing the brunt of this, but reorganize the 8th IS to address be repostured as analytical exploitation teams. And then it's, you know, identifying the, the problems, the so problem-centric orientation. So identifying those lines of effort for them to work. And that's that's really what the, the team's working on right now. And then it's giving those airmen the proper training and the proper direction to set them off, right? So making sure folks have really the buy-in, the, the transparency of, of why we're doing the, the transformation and what it means to them. And that, that we're going to, take care of them, right? That we're going to give them the, the proper training, proper expectations to be able to, to execute and that it's okay. Like I can guarantee you that we're going to, something's going to get messed up, right? I, I would say I'll, I'll guarantee you that we're going to fail, but we're going to fail small, like in, in small, small ways. I, I think the transformation will be a huge success, but we'll, we'll run into huge roadblocks and things like that, that we weren't we didn't consider, right? You, you try to take everything in, into consideration and, and try to mitigate all those little hurdles that, that will happen. But absolutely, so there'll be things that, that will come up too that, that we haven't anticipated. And, and how, do we, how do we just work through those and lead through those? And, and so I think that'll be the, the biggest challenge. But as long as we understand that, you know, allow ourselves to, to make mistakes and kind of take a deep breath and make those learning opportunities and move forward, and it'll all be all right. Chief, with that, you hear the commander's vision and it's kind of a guidance. So how do you just help 
as a senior enlisted leader for the 692nd, how do you help sell that or garner that buy-in? So I think one of the biggest things that I can do, and not, not just me, but you know, what I would consider be my peers, all the other senior NCOs in the group, is just to you know, understand what is happening to the degree to where you can then translate down information to the lowest common denominator, right? Because what has become apparent to me over the course of my experience serving at higher levels of leadership is that oftentimes we might think that information is being received down to, you know, the airmen that are on the front line, you know, whenever change is occurring. But, you know, it's like that old telephone game, right? You know, somewhere along the, the path that the communication is going to travel, that it's going to be jumbled, it's going to be skewed, yeah. you know, there could be some interference and the message could get rearranged and switched. And by the time it gets to the intended receiver, you know, it's no longer being received in the, the way we would hoped and the way we thought, right? And so I think for me as uh, one of the senior enlisted leaders in the group is to continue to be engaged, keep a pulse on what the airmen, capital A airmen are feeling, kind of try to fight for feedback, right? I think that's the most important part of this is to be an avenue uh, or a conduit for feedback as to where maybe certain things wouldn't be said otherwise to certain levels of leadership, but to try to fight for that and get an airman's perspective on what they think the impact of a recent change is going to have on their ability to perform at their best to ensure that the right people know what's being said. And, you know, those airmen who are on the front line are going through what they're struggling with so we can help remove those barriers, right? Because at the end of the day, there's a warm body at the end of all of this. And none of any of these changes are going to matter if we can't keep the people, you know, engaged you know, ensure that they have purpose. You know, I think the three main messages that Colonel Pearson has been putting out is autonomy, mastery, and purpose, right? And so, you know, I, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that charge to ensure that we can enable our airmen to, to have that. So my next question is just for both of you, and we'll start with you, Chief Trish. What sets the 692 apart from the rest of the wing? And even just, we'll say the Air Force, besides all of our PME award winners. <laughs> In my estimation, there's no other group within the wing that has the opportunity, number one, to be in close proximity to so many different agencies, so many different mission partners. You know, when you think about our portfolio from a billet perspective, you know, the amount of P3 versus P2 and how that all shakes out. And, and when you start to go deeper into, you know, the different mission sets, right? Not to say that our other groups aren't, aren't as busy. They're just busy in, in other ways, right? You know, we do have our partners over in Germany, which I was part of the 693rd a few years ago. They have almost a similar setup, but, you know, to the degree there where we have people just literally all over this island, it's kind of mind boggling. And I try to communicate that to anybody that's new coming into the group, the opportunity that they have to grow as an Intel professional and expand their network. I think we have the greatest opportunity because we're co-located with all of these disparate agencies here on, on one place where you can literally either get up and walk across the street or get in a car and drive, you know, 10, 15 minutes down the road to link up with some of these partners. Yeah. And I would say, you know, Chief mentioned it before uh, at an individual level, but, but really I think what makes this group unique is the fact that the group has autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And I think that's unique from the other groups in the wing in that purpose-wise, it's very clear we're Pacific theater focus, right? Should be no other distractions. You know, we're, we're right in the middle of the Pacific. We're right next to PACAF headquarters, we're right next to the AOC. And it's very clear who our customer set is. I think some of the other groups get pulled in various ways, you know, to meet other MAGCOMs and other theaters. 
they don't have that kind of one one kind of purpose autonomy again we're, we're out here in the pacific yeah <laughs> yeah on a little island in the most uh, remote location in the world actually but we are unique in that all the different pieces of the group are co-located you know within you know just 15 20 miles of, and then also co-located right next door to the aoc right next door to the tj fac across the street from the JIOC, from our joint partners, and then uh, our IC partners as well. So all the tools and everything that we need to be successful is, you know, for the most part right here. And that makes us having that team and having those relationships, being able to see those people on a day-to-day basis and forming those relationships, you know, sets us apart. Great stuff. Great perspective from both. As we're wrapping up, or as I'm wrapping up, I want to just kind of switch gears a little bit on a more lighter note. <laughs> yes, Chief Trish is doing the manual shift. And I'm asking answers from both of you. We always talk about airmen and whether it's at the, you know, like actually E4 below or big A airmen, but I want to focus a little bit on the young officers. So Colonel Mack, like what's one or two leadership books you would recommend to any CGO out there? And when I say CGO, we'll talk like for captains, but maybe captain's been in for less than five years. Well, it's it's great that we have so many on the uh, the wall here that I could pick from, but uh, one up there for sure, Team of Teams. I think anything that General Crystal had the opportunity to work for him at JSOC, and I think that's tremendous work. I think another one that was important to me was the Spider and the Starfish. I don't keep track of authors, so unfortunately, I, I can't really tell you who wrote it. But the the Spider and the Starfish, I think, is a great one. One I'm actually that actually Chief Lifer recommended when when she was out here, and I'm gonna. I'm going to forget it, but it's one that I'm, I'm going through right now that I think has been great. Dare to lead. Dare to lead. Oh, yeah. Renee Brown, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's as I'm listening to my audio book of that. It's just, you know, she hits a lot of great stuff. I think um, for the transformation, I think who moved my cheese? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, I think that's, you know, when you talk about change and, and how to deal with it, I think that's a great one as well. Chief, what about you? What books? For young officers. The Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2. Um, oh, no, just kidding. So I, I would recommend Legacy. It's a great book. Don't remember the author, but if you know, get on your iTunes or you know, Audible library, you can find it. But essentially, it's about the New Zealand rugby team, the All Blacks, and kind of their transformation to become one of the greatest uh, sports teams, I guess, in the world by making cultural changes. And so... You know, uh, not to give away the whole book, but essentially what they did was they started similar to what we do in the military and why we place so much value on a whole person concept. When they were looking at the value of the individual players and how if they could make them better people or try to cultivate atmosphere to where they felt like they were contributing to society and becoming more of a family that would have benefits on the rugby field. And so that's what the book is about. And it is very powerful in the way it kind of speaks to a lot of the things that we often, not to say we ignore, but you know, as we look at whether to spend money on weapon systems or to spend money on programs and enhance quality of life in the military, it's just, it's definitely a struggle. But at the end of the day, you know, it's all about the people in my book, right? So that's one. Another one is my wife was just put me onto this, but it's called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And so, you know, as things in the military always tend to change in my very short time that I've been in, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to tell you how short, but it's, it's Chief Trish made chief in 13 years. So <laughs> things have always changed. Nothing remains the same. But, you know, oftentimes we're, we as leaders 
tend to focus on the short game. We focus on quick wins. And what Simon Sinek kind of speaks to is the importance of playing that strategic, that long game and the things that you do now. You know, don't forget the impact that you potentially could have on a decision or an action that you're taking in the present and what that potentially could look like in the future. So if I'm speaking to junior officers out there, one of the things that I like to talk about if I'm in a mentorship session with them is I tie it back to the impact that they have directly on an enlisted member's career. So even if you're a lieutenant and you're directly supervising enlisted members, because oftentimes as lieutenants, you would leave all enlisted business when it comes to administrivia to your flight chief, to your master sergeant. And I would you know, often bring up that as an example to not do that because, you know, the, some of the reports that helped me get to where I'm at today that were part of the factors on why I'm sitting here as a chief were written by junior officers, right? And, you know, I was lucky enough to have leadership in my formation that took a deeper look into what was going on to my reports to ensure that they understood the process well enough so things weren't missed. So anyway, just to kind of tie that back in that fashion. The last one, recently I was gifted a book from the greatest art team on the planet here in the 692nd ISRG. It's called The Coffee Bean. And so it's definitely the kind of book I like. It's got pictures on every page, no more (laughs) than four sentences on every page, but a really powerful book just about the importance of how you can shape the environment and, you know, you making a conscious choice as to how you're going to lead your life and, you know, be a part of any team or be a member of society. So. Definitely pick up the coffee bean. Oh, that's what I got. That's good. And I, you know, to continue to, to keep it light, I would say generally when I look at, at leadership books, the ones I, I think I get the most out of are, are biographies to see how somebody else experienced things. So one of the, the goals I've, I have for myself in my life is I want to read a biography on every single president. So, you know, start with George Washington and, and move my way up looking at Bob Gates's book there, Duty, is another great book. I just read a book uh, that was by Mattis, call sign Chaos. Patton was another one, Eisenhower. I think reading how other leaders handled the situations and the time of history that they were in their positions is enjoyable, but also more instructional for me or more appropriate than you know reading like your typical corporate leadership book where it's like, oh, if you do these repetitive things where they're just, you know, they take a TED talk, the 20 minute TED talk, yeah. and they write a 200 page book about it. And you're like, oh man, this is just killing me. So, so I, as far as, as recommending books, I would just, you know, recommend reading things that you enjoy reading. If it's too painful, then uh, maybe just move on to something else. <laughs> Last question. I'm not going to ask Chief Trish this because I asked him on my, another podcast that I do, but Colonel Mack, this is your first time on a podcast, correct? Correct. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on podcasting in general? Or just using this as a tool to leverage a medium to mentor and develop? I don't really have a thought on podcasts in general. It's a reality, right? It's the, I'd be a boomer, uh, I guess, is the, is the new term if, if I wasn't tracking podcasts. And, and I think they're, they're great. I think specifically, one of the things I enjoy most and probably the one reason that, that I keep you know, being a glutton for punishment and taking more and more leadership responsibility in the Air Force is I, I love mentoring. Like I could, I love just sitting around talking to airmen and sharing my experiences, which I think I have a lot of unique experiences. I think Chief really has a lot of unique experiences to, in his to share in, in his 13 years, his 10 years in the Air Force. Baby face but, Chief. But no, I, I love it, right? So having 
but I just don't have the opportunity to, to sit down and have an hour long conversation with, with everybody. So I just think this is a, a great opportunity to, to do that. And I hope people find these rewarding. I think it's a great opportunity. You know, we're, we're your starter yeah. starter group. I know you're going to have bigger and better guests on yeah. <laughs> after this, but you got to start somewhere. But no, just like I said, this is this is the stuff I, I love the most about being a commander is sitting yeah. around and, and hope hopefully mentoring somebody and if they can you know, take ten percent away and hopefully it gets them through a rough spot or gives them some guidance on how to handle a situation or inspires them you know heaven forbid to continue on in the Air Force and, and to continue to to take on further leadership challenges and all the best. So actually, I want to ask you a bonus question. Chief Judge already answered this one too before, but but I'm gonna switch it up on you. So I need you to mentally prepare. Colonel Mack, if you had a billboard with your face on it and any message you wanted on that billboard, and this is very, this would be on the H2, H1, you know, when Colonel Pearson's out here at TDY and he sees the, the message of Colonel Mack or any 692 Airmen, what would you want that message to say? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. You should have told me that one. No, I, I purposely leave that, you know, and just for everyone listening, I really don't have a whole lot of questions to start off with. I just kind of go organically and just based off conversation. I didn't give Colonel Mack any, or Chief Trish any cliff notes or anything ahead of time. Just, you know, just kind of a, hey, we're going to talk about the subject of leadership in the 692nd. So I just uh, feel like this would be a good, honest response. Yeah. So as I put out my my expectations when I first take command, it's, oh, like, uh, a copy of them right there. Make airmen's lives better, live the core values, and leave the playground better than you found it. So I think that that lasts a little bit since this isn't just military specific, if it's on out there on the H1 or the H2, as people are, are parked uh, trying to get to Waikiki, I'd probably say just take care of the folks around you, but you know, leave the playground or, or leave the campground better than you found it. It's good. Uh, I think that that's kind of universal. Yeah, I like that. Chief Trish switching it up. Are you ready? I was born ready. Is that? Can I see your game face, yeah. sir? For you specifically, instead of a, because I actually that on my personal podcast, is the, the billboard, but this time I'm switched up. If there was a movie made about your career, what nobody, would the, nobody would watch it. What would the name of that movie be? It'd be a short one. It could even be a, an exist. Yeah, it could even be an existing movie title. But what would that movie title be? Pulp Fiction. Nice. Okay, that's good. Who, who's in that movie? By the Sam way, Jack- Sam Jackson. A lot of people. Jackson. Bruce Willis, John Travolta. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. On that, real quick, I'm gonna need a favor from you. Yes, sir. So, Keena Leo, when you go back to the office today, I request, sir that just yell at her, but yell at her in a Sam Jackson voice. Just give her like a counseling session and, you know. With great vengeance yeah. and furious anger. You know, yeah, yeah. just watch a, a oh, montage of Sam Jackson. Oh, fiction, a montage right. of Sam Jackson. Uh, <laughs> Say what again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any parting thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that we have, as a service, become, you know, hungry for professional development. More so, I don't remember uh, when I started out, the thirst was definitely not in me to go out and seek professional development opportunities. But I mean, it's become a part of our culture. And, you know, at any time, you don't need to necessarily wait on a podcast. You don't you know, need to wait on an email saying, hey, there's going to be some panel of chiefs or panel of first sergeants or whatever the case is that, you know, I think there are more than you know, one could ever imagine of opportunities to, you know, just grow yourself, you know, increase your knowledge to basically put more tools in your toolbox. So, you know, I I would say that this is a great opportunity. And hopefully if you're listening, you know, you yourself will one day 
have an opportunity to be on the podcast yourself. And, you know, I'll be on the other end listening to you listeners out there, which uh, is something I look forward to. Yeah, I would say I think that last piece was great, right? So, so I know it's your intent to to have Airman on here in the in the future, and I think that's huge because they can they can listen to stodgy old guys like Chief uh, <laughs> all the time. But I think really when we talk professional development and things like that, I think one of the surprising things is how much folks want to hear from their peers and just have those kind of frank conversations with with them. So I think again, I would encourage anybody to or everybody to to come on here and and take advantage of the the platform. To kind of share their experiences and because absolutely somebody will benefit from it and kind of going hand in hand with, with folks going outside of their wheelhouse and going above and beyond. I'd just like to thank you for hosting and developing this 692nd podcast. Again, not, not something anybody asked you to do, definitely not, not within your job jar, but again, just huge to see you take that upon yourself and, and again, give this platform to our airmen to help them develop. So, so thank you. Thank, I'm, uh, I'm humbled. Thank you so much. Thank you to both gentlemen. Like I just said, I, I'm truly humbled and dishonored. Uh, Colonel Mack, thank you again. That, that means the world to me. So yeah, thank you. Chief Trish, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you for everyone listening. Let's help spread the word. So here's what I need you to do. When I post this on Facebook, I need you to like and share the Facebook page. In addition, I need you to subscribe to this podcast. That's going to help the mentorship, the development, the access. That's going to help it grow. So again, just doing those things. If you want to know how you can support, that's how you can support. Gentlemen, again, thank you so much. And for everyone listening out there, team, this is Martin Foster, and you've been listening to the 692 Podcast, 692 Out.